Chapter Two of English Men of Science by Francis Galton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Leon Harvey. Chapter Two, Qualities. Energy, size of head, health, perseverance, practical business habits, memory, independence of character, mechanical aptitude, religious bias, truthfulness. In this chapter I will speak of the qualities which the returns specify as most conspicuous in scientific men, and I shall endeavour to make them tell their own tale by quoting anonymous extracts from their communications. Some of these qualities are common to all men who succeed in life, others, such as the love for science, are more or less special to scientific men. We will begin with the general qualities, with the view of obtaining as exact an idea as may be of the degree in which they are present in the leaders of science of the present day, neither exaggerating nor underestimating. Energy When energy, or the secretion of nervous force, is small, the powers of the man are overtasked by his daily duties, his health gives way, and he is soon weeded out of existence by the process of natural selection. When moderate, it just suffices for the duties and ordinary amusements of his life. He lives, as it were, up to his income, and has nothing to spare. When it is large, he has a surplus to get rid of, or direct, according to his tastes. It may break out in some illegitimate way, or he may utilize it, perhaps in the pursuit of science. It will be seen that the leading scientific men are generally endowed with great energy. Many of the most successful among them have labored as earnest amateurs in extra-professional hours, working far into the night. They have climbed the long and steep ascent from the lower to the upper ranks of life. They have learned where the opportunities of learning were few, they have built up fortunes by perseverance and intelligence, and at the same time have distinguished themselves as original investigators in non-renumerative branches of science. There are other scientific men who possess what is sometimes called quiet energy. Their vital engine is powerful, but the steam is rarely turned fully on. Again, there are others who have fine intellects without much energy, but these later classes are quite in the minority. The typical man of science has been at full work from boyhood to old age, and has exuberant spirits and love of adventure in his short holidays when the engine of his life runs free, temporarily detached from its laborious tasks. We must be on our guard against estimating a man's energy too strictly by the work he accomplishes, because it makes great difference whether he loves his work or not. A man with no interest is rapidly fagged. Prisoners are well nourished and cared for, but they cannot perform the task of an ill-fed and ill-housed laborer. Whenever they are forced to do more than their usual small amount, they show all the symptoms of being overtasked and sicken. An army in retreat suffers in every way, while on the advance, being full of hope, may perform prodigious feats. In the following extracts, I insert everything that seems deserving of mention as regards the energy of either parent. It will be observed how strong is the tendency for the primary quality to be transmitted hereditarily. Speaking generally of these and all other extracts printed in this book, I should give the following explanation. Whenever anything is interpolated by me, it is put in square brackets. All proper names are replaced by dots, because I do not wish to administer to the love gossip. It is indeed impossible to prevent intimate friends from sometimes guessing the names of the author, but I have taken care that nothing is inserted which can cause annoyance. I have taken some trifling editorial liberties such as occasionally working the words of the question into the answer when the latter was too curt to explain itself and in a few cases the third person has been turned into the first for the sake of uniformity
Extracts from Returns Energy much above the average, 40 cases. 1. Travelling almost continually from 1846 up to the present time. Restless. All life accustomed to extremely rough travel. Often months without house or tent. Of mind, restless. Father. Very energetic, restless. In old age, travelled considerably. Mentally restless. Mother, quiet and delicate. 2. When young, and to estimate thirty or more, worked habitually till two and three a.m., often all night. Travelled much in various climates. Much endurance of fatigue and hard living. Of mind, has risen to the highest position in his branch of science, and conducts an enormous correspondence on a variety of technical and scientific subjects. Father, very considerable energy, both in body and mind. Mother, below the average in bodily energy, but remarkably active mentally. 3. When fishing or shooting, my only occupation during the holidays, I am the whole day on my legs. Of mind, in 13 years I examined and named some 40,000 examples, described some 7,000 species, wrote some 6,000 pages of printed matter, carrying on at the same time a great deal of correspondence. Father, I cannot say. Mother is active the whole day. At the age of 63, she took sole charge of my child, then but a few weeks old, nursing it for three years, night and day, energy of mind equal to that of her body. 4. Remarkable energy and active of body, and power of enduring fatigue and going without food. Extremely fond of and an adept at all field sports. Absentious. Of mind, vigorous pursuit of scientific experiments and investigations of interest and management of money, business transactions, etc. Father. Active in field sports has ridden sixty miles before dinner. Abstemious, energetic in mind. Mother, much energy, as shown by activity and power of enduring fatigue. Great physical courage and presence of mind in danger. 5. Remarkable for athletic exercises when at Cambridge. In early life encountered great fatigue with the army as blank during the blank war. Father, Great activity and immense energy in the practice of his profession. A man of most powerful intellect. 6. I have been and still am a strong walker, both mountaineering and deer-stalking. I never knew what it was to be tired, but after the hardest day was ready to start again with six hours sleep. Although in my 67th year I am still an indefatigable deer-stalker. 7. Strong when young. Walked many a time fifty miles a day without fatigue and kept up five miles an hour for three or four hours. Father. Remarkable energy of body up to the age of thirty, as shown. Blank. Of mind. Remarkable energy from early youth to his death. Brought on by accident at seventy-three, when he was actively engaged and ever in preparing for experiments, official and of a very multifarious kind. Mother. Remarkable energy of mind in assisting her father in the preparation of his lectures, and afterwards, her husband in his official correspondence and writings. After his death, she wrote largely in magazines, and estimates 85 published suggestions for blank, certain improvements in administration. 8. When under 20, have walked 20 miles before breakfast. When about 32, walked 45 miles, dined and danced till 2 in the morning without fatigue. At the age of 26, during 14 days, was only 3 hours per night in bed and on two of the nights was up all night preparing for blank, certain scientific work. Fond of mountaineering. 9. Considerable energy and power of enduring fatigue. Rough travelling on small means in 
blank, partially civilized countries. I rode myself on a skiff 105 miles in 21 hours whilst undergraduate at blank. Rode in every race during my stay at the university. Rode two years in the university crew, Oxford and Cambridge races. Father. Many examples of his energy in his blank life. Of mind considerable, compiling and writing on a great variety of subjects, whilst at the same time carrying on a system of blank observations, and for years together. Mother, energy of mind very similar to that of my father. Joining nightly in blank observations, daily in writing or drawing. 10. Very active in business, preferring walking to the compulsory driving, occupied 14 or 15 hours a day without distress, restlessness kept under conscious restraint, longing for adventurous travel, but hindered. I doubt whether anyone in my profession has done more work, if I may reckon the total work done in blank, etc., etc., and I worked nearly as hard while a student. Father. As a young man, an active cricketer and volunteer officer, a very earnest, active man in business, heavily engaged in it from the age of 18. Besides, he took an active part in town affairs and the management of many associations. Mother, a good walker, very active in the management of her house. Although she had a very large family and took most diligent care of them, she was always at work, collecting all manner of things, arranging, describing, corresponding, painting, copying. She was never idle. 11. I seem to possess the same unweariedness as my father, and find myself trotting in the streets as my father used to. Father. Was very untiring. He tells me he has ridden 100 miles in a day. He could walk up one of the North Wales hills when nearly 70, and used to go long distances in London, passing often from a walk into a run. 12. In early life, occasionally working the night through. Great adroitness at games. Fast runner. Got the price of fencing at blank. On board a man of war in 18, blank, did feats of agility such as growing up a rope hand over hand which none of the midshipmen would attempt. Father, great amount of quiet energy, in mind great energy and perseverance which lasted to the end of his life. Thus he had known little Greek but studied it when an old man for the sake of his, blank, researches. Also Aramaic. Mother, active house mother. 13. Habitually travelled by night without interfering with work of any kind carried on during the day. Active habits and great power of enduring fatigue. 14. I was in youth and early manhood bodily active, a good runner and leaper, excelling almost all my school fellows. The school was a large one. In both points and a persistent walker. In mind. During the best fifty years of my life I went through a large amount of brain work and vigorously pursued the several interests indicated in the enumeration of my several occupations. Father, in bodily activity much like myself, with the addition that he was a good swimmer, in mind capable of great occasional exertion rather than of sustained effort. Mother, in mind, very energetic, within a limited range, always showed great courage, fortitude, and equanimity. In her nursing duties, whether of young or old, was active, persevering, and remarkably successful. 15. At the age of sixty, made a tour, chiefly pedestrian, of four weeks in the Alps, ascended Sima di Jazzi, crossed St. Thidul Pass, walking sometimes thirty miles a day, estimate, sixty-seven, grouse shooting and deer stalking, walked six miles daily to present date. Of mind, see list and dates of works and papers, an enormous amount of work. Father, active disposition, he let his family estate, entered largely into mercantile pursuits, and died abroad.
16. When young, a very quick runner and jumper. Good shot with bow and arrow. In middle age, walked to extent of 25 miles a day for many months. 40 miles in one day. Rarely tired. Of mind, in early life, any amount, provided the support was interesting. 17. At times, great fatigue has been gone through in connection with my profession. In mind, a good deal of continued power of brainwork. Mental fatigue is a sensation not known. Father, very energetic. In mind, remarkably so. Having been ruined in early life, he articulated himself to a solicitor when he was 35 years of age, procured good practice, and wrote a small technical book on law. Mother, loved to go through much fatigue. In mind, very energetic added greatly to the income of her family by her writings. 18. Active bodily work and absolute necessity of my being. Without it, my epigastrium would gnaw itself into fiddle-strings. In mind, my scientific works must answer this question. They are very considerable. Father, decidedly active and energetic, used to go out fossil hunting when it was too late to follow his occupation, which involved out-of-door work lasting all day and fatiguing to the muscles. Mother, very industrious. 19. Excelled at school and college in athletic sports, especially in long jumping, 18 feet. In mind, almost incapable of fatigue up to the age of 38. Usually engaged in literary work until long after midnight. Father. Remarkably active habits. A great reader when not engaged in drawing and writing. 20. Excellent walker. Great endurance of fatigue. Facts are given. In mind, active mental effort all my life have had abundance of active employment and now doing duty as blank numerous honorary officers of the first rank in importance and labor father energetic with considerable endurance good swimmer in mind he had much the same employment as myself he took an active share in science politics and religion mother active habits she had great power of doing work and carrying on business twenty one when a boy of thirteen, I walked forty-eight miles in one day, fifty the next, and about twenty the third. When grown up, my powers were ordinary, certainly not above average. In mind, indolent, disinclined to work, unless with a large object. N.B. I insert this moderate statement because my correspondent adheres to it verbally, and gives facts and reasons which I cannot controvert. Nevertheless, if energy is to be measured by work actually accomplished, and if my correspondent's work be compared with that of other men, the estimate of his energy will be prodigiously increased. Father, when a young man, he and two brothers walked sixty miles in one day. Much mental energy, ready for all purposes. When old, he was astonished at the amount of work in blank he did when young. Mother, ordinary, both bodily and mental. 22 has done his chief brain work between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m., besides all the day labour, rests perfectly during a night railway journey. Father, great energy and very active, capable of enduring great fatigue. 23. Active and energetic from infancy to 84 years of age. In mind, I must leave my works to answer this question, but I believe I have been a hard worker during the whole period of my existence. N.B. No doubt of it. Father, energetic both in body and mind, muscular, a great reader, mother, delicate, but active and intelligent. 24. A strong walker and oarsman can write more rapidly than any man I ever met. 30 folios of 72 words equal to 2,160 words an hour. In mind, I have always worked long hours and very fast. Father, 
remarkable energy and endurance, notwithstanding asthma, very hard-working as a blank. Mother, physically weak, but has had a large family, has done a great deal of original as well as of steady work. 25. I am a hard rider with hounds, fond of mountaineering, and not easily tired. Father, an active man all his life, riding every day, and always about, although over eighty. 26. Energy shown by much activity and well-sighted health, power of resisting fatigue. I and one other man were alone able to fetch water for a large party of officers and men utterly prostrated. Other facts given in illustration of undoubted energy. In mind, shown by vigorous and long-continued work on the same subject as twenty years on blank and nine years on blank. Father, great power of endurance, although feeling much fatigue, and after consultations after long journeys, very active, not restless. In mind, habitually very active, as shown in conversation with a succession of people during the whole day. 27. Considerable enduring power in fulfilling any given task or duty. Have dissected continually for three or four weeks, eight or nine hours a day, devoting some sixteen hours to the work at critical times. In mind, considerable. Wrote and superintended first edition of blank, giving instructions to artists regarding from 200 to 300 woodcuts, correcting press, etc. Without assistance, in about seven months, all this in addition to professional work. Hard work for mind as well as body. 28. Energetic. In mind, extraordinarily so, both in administrative and in original work. Father, energetic. Author of, I think, more than 70 scientific memoirs. 29. Formerly great power of railway travel without fatigue. In mind, active and energetic in a very high degree, as shown by the amount of his official and private work. Father, always on horseback, travelled very constantly and rapidly, steady in pursuit of an object. He would break in horses with great skill and patience, would learn languages with great perseverance, even after fifty years of age. Mother, very energetic in inquiries. 30. Great activity at cricket and football up to age of 25. Captain of blank, 11 for 5 years. Used to row a great deal in heavy boats. 31. I possess considerable bodily energy and when young excelled in fencing, swimming and the high jump. In mind, have worked hard with my brain for the last 35 years, almost without intermission. Father, considerable bodily energy and a good pedestrian. Mother, sluggish bodily powers but in mind most energetic when once roused to action by a subject that interested her feelings thirty two sufficiently patient of ordinary fatigue cold and hunger to enable me to enjoy travelling in unfrequented countries when my companions suffered much discomfort in mind can commonly work from twelve to fourteen hours a day without any remarkable amount of exhaustion father capable of enduring fatigue thirty three this is a case of extraordinary mental activity as shown by evidence which I do not feel justified in quoting. It was rewarded by a success notwithstanding serious impediments in boyhood. Father, a most energetic man, all for practical pursuits. Mother, an unusually strong mind and steadied love and search for knowledge. 34. Walking from Cambridge to London in a day, at the age of 68, ascended the Piers Corvatch in the Engadine. In mind, facts evidencing considerable energy are quoted. Father, fond of exercise, a good walker, 
Mother, decidedly active bodily habits. 35. I am decidedly lazy, but with due stimulus could always get through a great amount of physical work, and was rather the better for it. In mind, as a boy, I worked for three months all day and all night, with not more than four or five hours sleep. When full of a subject and interested in it, I have written for seven or eight hours without interruptions, and without feeling any notable fatigue. 36. In early life as a boy, I was engaged in business from 12 to 14 hours a day, yet always found time to study and make my own instruments. Later on, my studies and scientific work were always accomplished after business hours, and it was generally my habit to commence work after dinner, and to work in science until 2, 3, or 4 in the morning, and to begin work in business again at 9. I never thought of rest if I had anything in hand of interest. Father remarkably active and capable of sustaining an amount of bodily exertion which should have destroyed the health of most men for example i have known him sustain great fatigue for eighteen hours out of the twenty-four hour for months at a stretch a great walker in mind of indomitable activity a great reader always at work in applying discoveries in blank to the arts an untiring worker in anything he undertook mother Busily active, great and rapid reader of current literature, perhaps, and read almost every book of interest in fiction which appeared. 37. Used to work all day at business and one half or three quarters of the night at science. From Saturday afternoons to Monday mornings would walk 40 to 50 miles in pursuit of a branch of natural history. Could work hard at business all day, and a very anxious business, and at evening and night would work hard at two branches of science found a wonderful relief in science father energetic in travelling great energy in business thirty eight for several years was engaged in full medical practice at the same time was a lecturer on blank and engaged in investigations on for which the royal medal was awarded by the royal society father and mother both of active habits thirty nine in professional life i have often been up three successive nights without distress but do not like a fourth if it came Consider that my limit in mind wrote blank, a considerable work, between 11 p.m. and 2 a.m., after professional hours. All the time that I have devoted to science has been stolen from strictly professional engagements, but more often from myself. 40. Considerable power in earlier days of enduring mental fatigue and of taking up without difficulty a considerable range of subjects. Example. I was for a little while at 17 to 20 in teaching and I contrived in my scanty intervals of leisure to read a very large quantity of Greek and Latin, and to become, without any external assistance, a very fair mathematician. My correspondent occupies a high official position in which considerable mathematical knowledge is essential. I learned also Italian at this time. 41. I should say considerable, judging by the number of things I have been able to learn and to do since adult age. 42. I think considerable in mind have commonly had it said of me that it was wonderful how I got through so much work. Father, was well known as a hard worker. Mother, a great reader, taught herself Greek and Hebrew and learnt German in later life to read Luther and other theological writers in the original. A great student of theology. Cases of energy below the average, two cases. 1. No remarkable energy of body. In mind, never capable of a large amount of brain work. For years have regarded myself as defective in brain power. The actual performance of this correspondent is considerable and of a very high order. Father. In early life fond of athletic sports and an enthusiastic sportsman. 
energy of mind very remarkable shown in early university and professional life and all subsequent occupations he wrote a large number of publications on subjects of blank and blank controversy mother energy of mind remarkable zeal in pursuits of interest excessive two constitutionally languid with a strong wish for greater energy and more power of enduring fatigue in mind energetic as far as health permits much occupied professionally but when well capable of vigorous following up the science of blank in leisure hours father energetic in body as far as his health allowed in mind very energetic his brain work from an early age was very large in amount and he was vigorous and sanguine about anything he undertook mother very languid incapable of any bodily exertion very little energy of mind too languid to take much interest in anything beyond her own family size of head i may mention that energy appears to be correlated with smallness of head a fact which is well illustrated here although the average circumference of head among the scientific men is great energy is also as we have seen strongly marked among them but it is much more strongly marked among those who have small heads i have ninety-nine returns many of which i have verified myself using the hat maker's whalebone hoop and measuring inside the hats it appears that the average circumference of an english gentleman's head is twenty-two and one quarter to twenty-two and a half inches now i have only thirteen cases under twenty-two inches but eight cases of twenty-four inches or upwards the general scientific position of the small-headed who are mostly slender but not necessarily short and large-headed men seems equally good but the fact is conspicuous that out of the thirteen of the former there are only two or three who have not remarkable energy and out of the eight of the latter there is only one who has a combination of great energy and great intellectual capacity is the most effective of all conditions but like the combination of swiftness and strength in muscular powers it is very rare health the excellence of the health of the men in my list is remarkable considering that the majority are of middle and many of advanced ages one quarter of them state that they have excellent or very good health a second quarter have good or fair a third have had good health since they attained manhood and only one quarter make complaints or reservations here are two examples of excellent health in which some details are given one only absent from professional duties two days in thirty years only two headaches in my life the next is from a correspondent who is between seventy and eighty years of age two never ill for more than two or three days except with neuralgia no surgical operations except inoculation drawing of one tooth and cutting of corns i may add a characteristic biographical extract from the times october thirty first eighteen seventy three relating to the late sir henry holland who was on my list certain it is as all who have fallen in with him by sea or land will attest that he might be seen in all climates in the arctic regions or the tropics on the prairies or the pyramids in precisely the same attire the black dress coat in which he hurried from house to house in mayfair yet he never had a serious illness till his last there was not a day probably not an hour when he could not boast of the mens sana in corpore sano and without headache or heartache he attained the extraordinary age of eighty-six it is positively startling to observe in these returns the strongly hereditary character of good and indifferent constitutions i have classified the entries each by giving the health of the scientific man of his father and of his mother respectively and find as follows first a long row of such terms as these 
excellent, 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 or good, good, good. Then comes another row in which some ailment is specified by the scientific man as affecting himself and as having also affected one or other of his parents. Examples. 1. Excellent but hay fever. Father, excellent, but severe hay fever. 2. Good in early life, subject to headache. Father, good, subject to headache. 3. Delicate in early life. 1. Lung seriously affected. Mothers, delicate and physical. I can find only two cases, neither very strongly marked, in which both parents are described as unhealthy, although marriages between such persons are not infrequent. The returns seem to show that the issue of these marriages are barely capable of pushing their way to the front ranks of life. All statistical data concur in proving that healthy persons are far more likely than others to have healthy progeny, and this truth cannot be too often illustrated until it has taken such hold of the popular mind that considerations of health and energy shall be of recognised importance in questions of marriage, as much so as the probabilities of rank and fortune. I may mention as a fact that corroborates my belief in the exceptionally good physique of scientific men that I find the average height of those who have sent me returns to be half an inch above that of their fathers. Perseverance Steady perseverance is the third quality on which great stress is laid, but this might have been anticipated, and it is unnecessary to quote many instances. Here are a few. I have probably beyond the average steadiness of determination, even when the subject is distasteful. 2. Steadiness decidedly marked. 3. Determination never to leave unaccomplished a matter once taken in hand. 4. Great continuity and steadiness. 5. Steady and intense perseverance. 6. Very persevering, not discouraged by defeat. 7. Determination to succeed when possible. My motto being, Whatever thy hand fighteth to do, do it with all they might. For the night soon cometh when no man can work. 1. I do all things at a white heat, but never tire of the pursuit. 9. Continuous pursuit of certain studies from an early age. 10. Steadiness and perseverance in the pursuit of an object that is my most distinctly marked peculiarity. 11. The most prominent are perseverance and industry. A willing mind and determination to persevere is, in my opinion, the most direct road to success. We must, however, exercise a sound judgment in the selection of subjects on which to exercise our thoughts. I do not think it necessary to quote the instances where either parent is also spoken of as being remarkably persevering. These may be taken for granted. I find that the father is referred to in strong terms eight times, and the mother only twice. As I set off to the above, impulsiveness is not confessed to by a single physicist, chemist, or mechanician. It is equally absent in their parents, with the exception of the mother of one of them. Among the remaining men of science, I only find five cases, but these are mostly combined with some tenacity of purpose, and they are all inherited. Practical Business Habits Some prevalence of practical business habits might also have been anticipated, but they proved to be much more common than I had expected. Among those who have sent me returns, I count no less than 17 who are active heads of great commercial undertakings. There are also 10 medical men in the highest rank of practice, and 18 others who fill or who have filled important official posts. Here are some answers to my special inquiries. 1. A most eminent biologist wrote as follows, in reply to the inquiry whether he had any special tastes bearing on scientific success, in addition to those for his own light of investigation. I have no special talent except for business, 
as evinced by keeping accounts, being regular in correspondence, and investing money very well. It is clear that method and order are essential to the man who hopes to deal successfully with masses of details. 2. I believe I may say that my organ of order is highly developed. Of my collection of some 7,000 birds' skins, every one is always in its place, ticketed with name, etc., or by my own hand. I spend much time, perhaps too much, in putting things straight. 3. I believe I am reckoned a good chairman in public meetings, and I always find that administrative and other work gravitates towards my hands. 4. My professional life is strictly methodical. Every working day is still mapped out into hours, half-hours, and quarters. Fully one half of those who state that they possess business habits in a decided degree accredit one or both of their parents with the same faculty. Only two of my correspondents speak of being deficient in business capacities. Both these are physicists. The following quotation may with propriety be inserted here, although the first-named quality independence is the subject of a future chapter. I attribute all the knowledge I have acquired and my success I may have had chiefly to three qualities, all of which I believe I inherited. First, independence of judgment, which prompted me to learn for myself what I wanted to know. Secondly, earnestness, determination, and perseverance in acquiring such knowledge, often under difficulties, and in the face of routine business occupation. And thirdly, a business-like, practical, logical way of looking at things, which enabled me to direct attention to the important and relevant, neglecting the unimportant and irrelevant points in which I had to study and do. Memory Memory is very variable in power and character, perhaps no other qualities more so. It is an important ingredient in that aggregate of faculties which form general scientific ability, as is shown by the fact that about one quarter of the men on my list possess it in high degree, but it is not an essential one because it is defective in about one case in fourteen. A good memory is of greater importance to the young student who has much to learn than to the advanced philosopher who has chiefly to reflect and who knows where to refer for information. Memory is usually defective in persons of small ability, but not invariably so, even among idiots it may be sharp. There are two cases of this record in the autobiography of the late Mrs. Somerville, page 92. One cannot but suspect some exaggeration in the statements and feel regret that the cases were not fully inquired into, both as regards the precise power of memory and the degree of development of the other faculties. She says the first idiot, he never failed to go to Kirk, and on returning home he could repeat the sermon word for word, saying, Here the minister coughed, here he stopped to blow his nose. She then speaks of another idiot who knew the Bible so perfectly that if you asked him where such a verse was to be found, he could tell without hesitation and repeat the chapter. I have sorted such of the replies as are interest into the following groups. 1. Good verbal memory, as for prose and poetry, six cases. 2. Good memory for facts and figures, 9 cases. 3. Memory for form, 6 cases. 4. Good memory for names in natural history, 4 cases. 5. Good memory, no details, 5 cases. 6. Fitful and peculiar memory, 6 cases. 7. Bad memory, 7 cases. Total number of noteworthy cases, 43. I have not included in the above a few instances in which the scientific man has described his own memory simply as good, nor others in which he has made no remark, except that one of his parents had very good memory. The hereditary character of this quality is abundantly illustrated. Good verbal memory. 
As for prose and poetry. 1. Very great, both for facts and words. I could in my earlier days often retain poetry after two perusals, and once learned it, it was seldom forgotten. I have seldom met a quicker or more retentive memory in any one. 2. After reading over a lecture or speech of an hour's duration three times, can recollect nearly the words as written for eight or ten days. I am informed verbally by this correspondent that he is obliged to abstain from writing out his addresses, etc., beforehand. Otherwise, he has found the memory of what he wrote to be so strong and exacting as to make it difficult to him to deviate from it and accommodate his language to the current temper of his audience. Mother, excellent memory. 3. Considerable, both verbal and objective. Great facility in quotations, familiarity with large collections of coins and specimens. Father and mother, both good memories. 4. In childhood, all the psalms, old version, much old English poetry. Afterwards, nearly the whole Latin grammar, Eton, Virgil, Ovid, Lucan, still later, considerable parts of the Iliad, Odyssey, etc., could be and partially can still be repeated ex memoria. Zoological, botanical, mineralogical, and paleontological names in abundance. 5. My memory was very good. I remember as a boy to have read Schiller's Thirty Years' War. I could afterwards, without effort, say pages of the work by heart. 6. At school I used to learn in a single evening 100 lines of Virgil and repeat them correctly in the morning. Father. Very good. Good memory for facts and figures. 1. Next to no verbal memory. Good memory for facts and figures. 1. Next to no verbal memory but good for facts small or great which will fit into any chain of reasoning. 2. Of moderate verbal memory, but strongly retentive of facts and figures so far as they are related to any subject on or in which I was engaged. Father. Memory very retentive, but not systematic. He had a great amount of information, but had not great acquirements. His familiarity with scripture was, however, remarkable. Mother. Very retentive for small facts and figures. 3. My memory of things learnt early in life, as dates, rules, examples of grammar, etc., very retentive, but of all isolated facts of subsequent occurrence, as the birthdays of my children and the dates of events of my life, I am singularly destitute of retentive power. On the other hand, of whatever is linked by rational association with any subject in which I take an interest, my memory is very good. Father. The power of his memory was shown by the great range of his requirements. He had greater power of remembering isolated facts than I have. 4. I should say far above the average. I can now refer to notebooks of 30 years past and select a special observation. In other words, it is a capital working memory. I never tried to learn pages of poetry, etc. In this I should probably have failed. 5. Memory exceedingly strong and retentive, especially of dates, figures and events. Father and mother both had good memories. 6. Great memory for figures, can get up pages for examination before committees and dismiss them from memory afterwards. Strong recollection of scenery. 7. Very retentive memory, especially of acts, circumstances and individuals. 8. Never kept a diary. Clear remembrance of events in childhood with their dates in every year from the age of six onwards. Solve problems better out of doors than in the study. Can forget useless knowledge such as formulae, rules, gossip, etc. very fast. 9. Bad memory for names and dates, but good as regards facts or circumstances. Principles in physical science are clearly retained. Father, 
excellent memory for historical events including dates and names in ancient and modern history mother moderately good good memory for form one mother most treacherous except in certain respects vivid and generally very accurate as to places and visual images as to thousands or perhaps tens of thousands of specimens and plants can remember the exact spot where each was gathered as to a multitude of facts that should have interested me my memory is a blank and the original impression revived in difficulty if at all very retentive and accurate as to the sequence of impressions from early childhood onwards father remarkably retentive memory quoting long passages from classical authors not seen for a very long time previous shortly before his death at seventy-three recited a long passage from gibbon not read for fifty years before mother memory not reliable generally but clinging strongly to special scenes and events i recognized most of the animal forms which i have previously examined but i forgot easily the details of their structure also their systematic names specific not generic likewise i have a good memory for faces but not for names of persons could never remember historical dates three great power of remembering forms and points of objective interest none of numbers or abstract arguments languages poetry etc soon lost if not kept up four strong local memory especially of scenery five very good memory for ideas and general notions also of persons and places seen verbal memory not at all good mother good memory six great memory for faces and objects once seen a good memory for faces for locality for things for events for scientific facts but not particularly good for figures or quantities except in all necessary routine as in prescribing and in subjects of lecture never fail to recall what i desired in my lectures father an excellent memory was a very first-rate whist player mother an excellent memory played a capital game at whist good memory for names in natural history the power of recollecting a multitude of grotesque and barbarous names which all naturalists must possess to a considerable degree and which seems so extraordinary to persons who are not naturalists is hardly alluded to in these returns it would appear that our most eminent naturalists are not very specially gifted among their fellow workers in this respect here are a few cases of a rather good memory of the kind one memory strong up to the age of thirty-eight still good and capable of recognizing and naming probably between two and three thousand species of animals and plants including fossil forms father remarkable capable of accurately repeating from memory the substance of speeches delivered at clerical and other meetings two retentive of botanical names rather deficient in other respects especially as to persons three retentive for nomenclature but not for numbers or history during practitional life i have gone over the foraminiferae and remembered all their names good memory no particulars given one very remarkable retentiveness of memory father good mother very good full of anecdote two very good memory as far as my eighty-fifth birthday three very good father good four very retentive but not exactly accurate five retentive memory for what was of interest and very accurate father retentive six very good as a boy and young man fitful and peculiar memory one occasionally remarkable but very fitful i have occasionally been able to repeat pages after once or twice reading at other times it is below the average 
a power of eliminating and retaining the salient points of what i read if it interests me but very bad memory for facts and details two although i can speak for an hour or two from a few notes i could not repeat correctly a few sentences from memory father remarkable for good verbal memory could repeat pages of poetry and speeches without mistake a striking contrast to my own memory three my father and myself have memories of the same character treacherous in matters of business and very retentive of scraps of verse read over and learnt long ago when my father was to have met me a little boy returning from school the end of the half he would forget all about it my engagements sometimes suffer blank from similar forgetfulness four memory very retentive in regard to incidents and events but could never learn by rote except with great effort often surprise my patients by recollection of their symptoms but am often at a loss to connect their names with their faces father memory remarkably retentive especially as to the various events of his life and time five memory very bad for dates and for learning by rote but extraordinarily good in retaining a general or vague recollection of many facts father wonderful memory for dates in old age he told a person reading aloud to him a book only once read in his youth the pastors which were coming he knew the birthdays and those of the deaths etc of all his friends and acquaintances six a peculiar memory bad for names of persons plants places etc good for subjects connected with others not bad for numbers father a most marvellously retentive memory he could relate minute details of historical occurrences names of actors in politics almost all he had ever read he was a great reader and was in consequence a most lively companion mother not very good bad memory one a physicist informs me that his memory is unable to retain even the commonest constants in habitual use and that the selection of his special line of investigation was governed by his sense of this disability two bad memory from boyhood incapable of learning school tasks by heart though retaining a knowledge of principles and methods three i have a very poor memory i was once a whole fortnight in recovering the name of blank but i got it at last i consider that all attempts at making me learn poetry and in particular latin poetry at school were gross mistakes i was never benefited in the least reasoning was my forte and i could never do anything by rote four a bad memory especially for names five not possessed of a retentive memory either in small matters or large ones except in those in which i take a special interest six i was always slow at learning seven memory not retentive very much under the influence of association and suggestion father memory very retentive as to principles facts instance not much so as to names of persons and objects mother not retentive independence of character we now come to the qualities that are of a special service to scientific men those already mentioned of energy health steadiness of pursuit business habits and memory being of general utility the first of these is independence of character fifty of my correspondents show that they possess it in excess and it only two is below par here are a few examples one left estimated twelve that is ran away from a school where i had received injustice from the master two opinions in almost all respects opposed to those in which i was educated three i have always taken my own independent line my heresy prevented my advancement four preference for whatever is not the fashion not popular not rich 
not very able to help itself, yet with qualities unworthily overlooked or unjustly oppressed. The home atmosphere, which the scientific men breathed in their youth, was generally saturated with the spirit of independence. Examples 1. My father was extremely independent, in some respects more so than I am. He never altered the fashion of his dress, he never took off his hat to anyone in his life, and never addressed anyone as a squire. 2. My father was a liberal when liberalism, then styled Jacobinism, was highly obnoxious, an early denouncer of slavery, an advocate of religious liberty, a free trader when the world was protectionist, and an opponent of unrighteous war when war was most popular. He was for mitigating our criminal code when hanging was regarded as the sheet anchor, and, in a word, was politically and socially a very independent spirit. 3. My father, an exceedingly humane and courageous man, who was a master in the Royal Navy, would never, unless compelled, attend the flogging of a seaman, a punishment mercilessly and unsparingly administered in his days, 1800-1815. 4. It was marked in my father, he held Jacobite opinions, when it was not very safe to hold them. 5. Maintenance by my father of religious and political creeds at a time when these creeds were unpopular and often disqualifying. In confirmation of the assertion that the scientific men were usually brought up in families characterised by independence of disposition, I would refer to the strange variety of small and unfashionable religious sects to which they or their parents belonged. We all know that Dalton, the discoverer of the atomic theory, and Dr. Young, of the undulatory theory of light, were both Quakers, and that Faraday was a Sandemanian. So I find in these returns numerous cases of Quaker pedigree, and I know of one man, not as yet technically on my list, who was born a Sandemanian. There are also representatives of several other small sects, as Moravians and Bible Christians, and the Unitarians are numerous. It will be understood that the object of saying this is not to throw light on the religious tendencies of the scientific men, concerning which I shall have almost immediately to speak, because so offhand a statement would mislead but to prove that they and their parents had the habit of doing what they preferred without considering the fashion of the day the man of science is thoroughly independent in character mechanical aptitude there is a prevalent taste for mechanics among scientific men whose peculiarity it is to be interested in things more than in persons one would have expected to find it developed among physicists and as a fact eight of them possess it in a high degree and similarly among mechanics and engineers all of whom must possess it and four of whom testify to it but it seems just as strong among the rest here are instances and extracts chemistry one constructed a reflecting telescope with twelve inch aperture two ground polished and silvered a seven inch glass speculum and mounted it equatorially geology three considerable mechanical skill Biology, 4. Always fond of constructing. School nickname, Archimedes. If I had followed my profession and should have been very successful as an engineer. 5. Very fond of mechanical contrivances. Invented and made my own toys as a child. Mechanical tastes are still largely indulged in intervals of leisure. 6. Special love of mechanics. A good amateur, cabinet maker and blacksmith. Made lithotrites. 7. Talent for mechanics. 8 was extremely ingenious in devising modes of preserving and exhibiting objects of natural history. 9. Strong natural inclination towards mechanism. His present profession was accidental and against the grain. 10 and 11. 
Aptitude for mechanism. 12. A decided turn for mechanical pursuits, both in arrangement and construction. Statistics. 13. Fond of and quick in understanding machinery. 14. I always took great interest in mechanical improvement. 15. I often feel a positive pain in passing an object of which I do not comprehend the meaning and construction. Religious bias. It appears that out of every ten scientific men, seven call themselves members of the established churches of England and Scotland, or of the now established Church of Ireland, and three belong to one or more of the following sects, which I name in the order in which they are most numerously represented. 1. None whatsoever. 2. Established church with qualification. 3. Unitarian. 4. Nonconformist. 5. Wesleyan. 6. Catholic. 7. Bible Christian. There is much Quaker and even some Moravian blood, but there are none who have sent me returns who still profess these creeds. The creeds of the parents are somewhat more varied than the above, and the Unitarian element is stronger. The religious feeling of men of science is necessarily of a peculiar character. Being thoughtful men, they are probably more occupied with religious ideas than the generality of people, but being exacting of evidence and questioners of authority, they sturdily object to much that others accept easily. But what is religion? It is one of the vaguest of words. Let us try to express ourselves more clearly. I think we may assume that the general tendency of scientific men is to take a philosophic view of life, that is, to show some disregard of the petty, transient events which chiefly absorb the attention of mean minds, and to feel most at peace when their thoughts are reposing on the larger and more enduring aspects of the moral and material world. Also, it would be easy to show that no class in the community are more active as philanthropists than scientific men. But these tendencies do not cover the meaning of the phrase religious bias in its technical sense. So far as I understand that sense, it compromises three elements. 1. Great prevalence of the intuitive sentiments, so much so that conflicting matters of observation are apt to be laid aside out of sight and mind, the intuitive sense of a supreme God who communes with our hearts and directs us. 2. A sense of extreme sin and weakness, as expressed by the liturgical phrase, no power of ourselves to help ourselves. Though the weakness of our mortal nature, we can do no good thing without thee, etc. 3. Revelation of a future life, and of other matters variously interpreted by different sects, with more or less satisfy the intuitive sentiments. I did not enter into these details in framing my questions, but simply asked in general terms whether or no my correspondence had a strong religious bias. The interpretation I put on the answers, which are subjoined, is that religion, in the sense of the third paragraph, is not actively accepted by many of those who describe themselves as religiously inclined. They seem singularly careless of dogma, and exempt from mysterious terror. Also considering the independence of their disposition, their energetic temperament, and healthful physique, I should think that religion, in the sense of the second paragraph, that of feeling sinful and weak, would not express the views of many of them. Therefore I look on the intuitive sentiments, as described in the first paragraph, connected with a philosophic frame of mind, and a tendency to achieve philanthropy, as the most likely meaning of the phrase religious bias, when it is used without any qualification by my correspondents, especially by those who are Unitarians. In this sense, at least, there appear to be about 18 instances of scientific men who have a decided religious bias being, I should estimate, at the rate of two or more in every ten, but I am not able to state with certainty how many of these are religious in the sense of all the three paragraphs. Religious sentiments weak, accompanied with more or less scepticism. 1. Being compelled to attend frequent chapels at college, 
he for ten years afterwards refused to enter either church or chapel two the negative tendencies of my family may be abstinence of pity three religious feeling not great four sceptical five not much religious bias except in a boundless admiration of nature six i gave up common religious belief almost independently from my own reflection seven bias towards freedom of thought in religious matters intellectual interest in religious topics one entertained at an early age independent views regarding the resurrection and salvation of the heathen which led to frequent disputes two at school i became sceptic and even worked out in my own somewhat at that time reserved mind a kind of idealism i afterwards had a phase of religious fervour but worked through it three given to theological ideas and not reticent about them four instinctive or original religious bias though this may be in part due to early training i take considerable pains in investigation of religious matters one of my amusements being the collection of a considerable theological library with the books of which i am familiar dogmatic interest i have no more doubt about the plenary inspiration of scripture than i have about the simplest axiom in mathematics i class this exception reply under dogmatic interest because the remainder of the writer's brief communication highly suggests the dependent frame of mind that is characteristic of pity e g never received or asked a single favour or a single farthing for anything i ever wrote or did religious bias one religious bias two of a religious bias of thought three religious views liberal but strongly anti-materialistic four early religious impressions strong but have on the dogmatic side quite disappeared the belief in a permanent antithesis between good and evil irrespective of utilitarian results has survived with no keen sense of the need of a dogmatic basis for the belief five much religious bias of thought from early education six i have been the more biased towards religion in that my father and maternal grandfather lived it and did not prate about it i am personally only a combination of these two men in this respect please take the sense of what i have written and not the words seven religious bias of thought decided eight although firmly and thoroughly believing in christianity and accepting it as the guide of my life as far as i can understand it being also a regular attendant of the church of england still i cannot admit the right of that or any other church to teach dogmatically what truths are necessary for my salvation and the feelings which ever cause me to resent any interference with the liberty of conscience are quite as strong in me as they were in the breast of my ancestor when he gave up the land of his birth and property more than three hundred years ago my correspondent has shown marked instances of independence of character and has descended maternally from both flemish and french religious refugees and paternally from an english nonconformist who left his country and settled in america nine it is difficult to estimate one's own peculiarities but i believe i may credit myself with more of the usual amount of blank and religious bias of thought i have mixed and worked with christians of most of the protestant churches ten strong religious feeling my intention on entering blank was to devote myself to a missionary life in china but my unexpected success in blank persuaded my friends to induce me to abandon my purpose on the grounds that i might serve god better in my new sphere at home i yielded to their arguments with great reluctance eleven intensely religious formerly in the evangelical sense a tract distributor promoter of prayer meetings bible classes etc excessive distaste to novels and fictions in any shape see indifference to dogma page one hundred thirty seven 
12. I was brought up an ordinary member of the church, but ultimately came to the conclusion that blank was essentially illogical. Blank. I had the happiness of seeing my mother follow me into the blank church. I regret that I am unable with property to give fuller extracts from the most interesting and instructive replies of this correspondent. Religious Bias with Intellectual Skepticism 1. I have not cultivated independence of judgment in religious matters. I have shrunk from so doing in order to retain peace for my varied studies. 2. Much religious bias of thought, but no respect for revealed religion as a base for such a bias. 3. Religious bias towards natural theology strong, as distinguished from dogma of any kind. 4. I have perhaps a religious bias from early habits and associations rather than from temperament, but I have always had more pleasure in sacred than in secular music, which perhaps shows the predominance of the emotional tendency. 5. A profound religious tendency capable of fanaticism, but tempered by no less profound theological skepticism. Next. As regards the effect of dogmatic teaching, or of creed on research, I had expected it to have been much more deterrent and hindering than the answers warrant. There was suicide of the geologist Hugh Miller, whose brain gave way under the conflict between dogmatic creed and scientific doubt, is a terrible tale. One would have thought that the anathemas from the pulpits against most new scientific discoveries, as soon as they become capable of popular application, such as geological history, antiquity of man and darwinism must have deterred many and as i have already shown few of the sons of clergymen are on my list nevertheless in answers to my direct inquiry has the religious creed taught in your youth had a deterrent effect on the freedom of your researches i am met with overpowering majorities of negatives seven or eight say no justifying their assertion by various reasons to one who says yes as is shown by the appended replies these may be sorted into the four following groups. 1. No. Deterrent effect. 39 cases. 2. None. With emphasis. 12 cases. Examples. None whatever. Not in the least. Not in the slightest. Decidedly not. Certainly not. 3. None. With various classes of reasons why it had not. 14 cases. 4. Has had a good and not a bad effect. 8 cases. Further specimens of the first two groups know with or without emphasis, are needless. But I will give extracts from the remainder divided under convenient heads. Have no dread of inquiry. 1. I do not think so. At the time when I held strongly the blank dogmatic system, I never could apprehend any dread of the results of free inquiry. 2. None whatever. Absolute and fearless faith in the truth. 3. I was left free to choose my own religion, and I believe that there is no real antagonism between revealed religion and the study of nature. Religion and science have different spheres. 1. No, it, religious creed, has no point of contact with chemistry. Indifference to dogma. 1. Not in the slightest degree, but the method of science has taught me not to put any confidence in creeds or dogmatic statements of any kind. There is correspondent is the tract distributor, etc., of 11 of those having religious bias in page 133. Liberality of early religious teaching. 1. None. The teacher was not severe or exclusive in any degree. It was the ordinary teaching of the Church of England. 2. My religious creed from infancy was that of freedom. I was not taught creed or dogma, and had, therefore, the great advantage of not having to fight my way out of darkness into light. 3. I learnt no creed in my youth. 4. I had no religious instruction at school. 5. No. 
freedom of thought was always made a part of the creed practically taught me. 6. No religious creed was ever taught to me. 7. None whatever. In fact, no creed was taught me. 8. My religious freedom has enabled me to look every scientific question fairly in the face. 9. There was no religious coercive education at home, notwithstanding my mother's strong personal religious bent. On the contrary, her influence was quite in the direction of free inquiry, in which she largely indulged herself. My school religious teaching had no effect that I can perceive, either on my intellect or imagination. Its chief result was to make me detest the drudgery of learning catechisms and sitting through dreary sermons. 2, 3, 6, 7, 8 are children of Unitarian parents. Have early abandoned creeds. 1. At estimate 13, I disbelieved as thoroughly as I do now in the religious creed that of the Church of England in which I was brought up, and I had realised Berkeleyan idealism by my own road. Compare this with the reply, too, from a different correspondent in page 130 in the selection. Intellectual interest in religious topics. 2. None whatever. I have long since wholly rejected religious creeds. 3. I gave up common religious belief almost independently from my own reflection. This quotation is repeated from the last section. The writer's reply to the question of which we are now speaking was a simple no, and had been classified as such. The religious creed has had a good effect on freedom of research. 1. None. i.e. no deterrent effect. Rather the contrary. 2. On the contrary. 3. Quite the reverse. 4. I think none whatever. I have had to overcome some prejudices, but my true religious life has been cognate with my scientific one, and the former has stimulated rather than crippled the later. 5. Certainly not. On the contrary, it has had clearly the very best effect. 6. Not a deterrent effect, but it acted as a guide. 7. Never deterred, now acts as a direct stimulant, since it appears to me that the cultivation of a naturally implanted intellectual tendency is a religious duty. The most pernicious influence to which I was subjected was that arising from J. Stuart Mill. It took me a long time to work through the sensationalist empirical philosophy, and to come out at the other side. 8. No, but the scientific system incalculated long prevented me giving my religious feelings and aspirations full sway. Has had some deterrent effect. 1. Certainly the narrow-ism of early youth made me, for a long time, a timid thinker. 2. To a certain extent, yes, not in philosophical research, but I shrink from the disturbance of mind, not fear of ultimate consequences, which I know would follow diving into certain questions of the day, connected with early religious teachings. 3. No. For some time it may have hindered me. 4. It certainly would have had the tendency, though not that effect, if my researches had taken certain directions. 5. Would have been so had I not fought against it. 6. The biblical faith prevented my getting good geological views for many years by having set my thoughts in the old grooves, and thus limited them. 7. I think not. I emancipated myself from dogmatic trammels early in life, but not without a struggle. 8. After about ten years' careful consideration of the facts, called by theology, seeming contradictions of science, I finally discarded the pentateuchal spectacles which I had previously looked at certain phenomena. I laid to early theological teaching so much hindrance in the quest of the most precious of our possessions, truth. Truthfulness A curiosity about facts is much spoken of, and implied in the answers to my questions. 
In a few cases it is combined with a curious repugnance to works of avowed fiction. A hunger for truth is a frequent ingredient in the dispossession of the abler men of every career, but in all probability it is felt most strongly and continuously by men of science. The most clearly marked characteristic of scientific society seems to me to lie in the careful accuracy with which facts and anecdotes of all kinds are related. I have had the good fortune to be acquainted with a large family circle whose curiosity about facts and practice of scrupulous and, so to speak, artistic truthfulness continuously excite my admiration. It has not unfrequently happened to me to hear a remark or statement which I had made to one of its members, alluded to by another, in which case I have been unusually astonished at the precision with which it was repeated. The repetition of the statement retained the precise shade of sense that I originally intended to convey, yet it was almost always presented in a simpler and more striking form. The essentials had been truthfully adhered to, the non-essentials were pruned off, and the language was improved. The rarity of a faculty like this is easily tested by the experience of the well-known game of Russian scandal, and has probably been impressed on most of us when we have discovered some misinterpretations of what we did or said. Truthfulness of expressions adds greatly to the charm of life. It gives a grateful sense of confidence towards those who are distinguished for it, and it makes conversation more real and far more interesting. There is an exact parallel between truthfulness of expression in speech and that of delineation in drawing. In the earliest sketch, it is far better to be hard in outline than inaccurate. Subsequent touching up can smooth away the hardness, but there exists no proper material to work upon when there was carelessness in the first design. End of chapter 2 of English Men of Science